this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through to 38. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured out onto your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, would you speak through your word? Um, thank you, Lord, for the lectionary that we are preaching through it without any control over what we happen to be, be preaching today, Lord. So I thank you for your sovereignty, for your provision, and thank you for the word that you have for us this morning, Lord. Help us to listen and to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the, uh, one of the basic things of humanity is that we want people to like us, right? Hands up if you want people to like you. Generally, you know, you're not going out trying to make trouble for yourself, right? Uh, that's, it's, it's just a basic part of who we are as humans. And uh, when we find out that someone does not like us, what happens is this kind of proximity alert goes off in our hearts and minds like a motion sensor, kind of like in a spy movie, and uh, we zero in on this infraction that someone does not like us. And uh, so when we read someone else's Facebook comment uh, about us and it misrepresents us, then uh, our hackles rise. And when we listen to news articles which do not portray reality the way that we view reality, um, then the klaxon sounds and we run either to a safe place far away from the fray or we run into the fray um, to our own maybe defenses. We don't like to have enemies. In crime shows, uh, after a murder has taken place, one of the first questions that someone asks the family members or the friends of the deceased, of the murdered person, is this. Did he or she have any enemies? Right? That's the first thing that they want to establish when there's a suspicious, um, well, 
every murder is suspicious. But when there's a death that is suspicious, do they have any enemies? And, and the detectives ask this because what they're looking for is motive. They, they are seeking to understand the reason why one human would seek to harm another. Did they have any enemies? And so we look at Ukraine right now. We look at Ottawa, literally half an hour from where we are right now. We look at Canada right now. And the idea of enemies is perhaps more real than it was just a few weeks ago. And friends, the idea that you might have an enemy provokes an emotional response in you. And this emotional response at knowing that you have an enemy might become a motive for future actions. I'm not saying any of you are going to murder anyone, okay? But uh, always looking for motive. Our lectionary scripture this morning that uh, we heard Stacy read, Luke chapter 6, 27 to 38, is full of provocative language. Your enemies, those who hate you, those who curse you, uh, those who mistreat you, if someone slaps you on the cheek, if someone takes from you. These sound bites are from Jesus's, one of Jesus's sermons that's known as the Sermon on the Plain. Now we know of the Sermon on the Mount, many of us have heard about this, uh, but this is the Sermon on the Plain, a very different sermon, um, but I, of course it's amusing that lots of Jesus's sermons are known by the, the topography or the geography of the reason uh, of the region, and so I wonder if the disciples, you know, as they're trying to remember, you know, as as uh, maybe uh, Matthew or uh, maybe John are trying to write down their gospels, and they're trying to remember, and it's like, well, didn't Jesus say that particular thing on the Sermon on the Mount? And then, uh, and then the other one goes, no, 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 that was the Sermon on the Plain, not the Sermon on the Mount. This was the Sermon on the Plain. Are you sure? Because I know that he said something similar on the Plain, but actually, I remember that that as being part of the Sermon on the Depression in the Farmer's Field. That was where I remember him saying that. And then the other one goes, yeah, you're probably right. It was the Sermon in the dip in the farmer's field. That's where he said that. But it's just interesting that so many of Jesus's sermons are connected with the local geography, with the topography. And this one is called the Sermon on the Plain. Um, now, this lectionary series that we've been going through since the new year is called A Light for the Nations. And through our Epiphany series, we've been looking at the kind of kingdom that Jesus is revealing and creating. We have one more week to go in the Epiphany series, and then we're into Lent. So leading into our passage this morning, uh, Jesus has just chosen his 12 apostles uh, up on the mountainside. Uh, then he, he comes down, and in verse 17, it says he stands on a level place or a plain, hence the name of the sermon. And a crowd gathers, we read in uh, Luke chapter 6, a crowd gathers from Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. And then verse 18 tells us that they have come from all over in order to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And in the context of this healing and teaching that's going on, Jesus seems to take a break. He looks at his 12 newly minted apostles, uh, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of, son of James. I don't know why Judas, son of James, made it so specific that he was 
the son of James, other than he probably didn't want to be known as mixed up with Judas Iscariot, uh, who became a traitor. So these are the newly minted apostles. And uh, he looks at these 12 apostles and he goes on and pronounces uh, four blessings and four woes. We aren't going to get into them this morning. And then Jesus jumps straight into our text this morning, but but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now, I want you to listen to these words from Susan Hyland. These words are important for us to listen to before we go any further. Susan Hyland says this, when the teachings of the Sermon on the Plain are not grounded in the, in the disciples' identity as God's child, they become an onerous list. Maybe as you were reading that list, as Stacy was reading it, you were going, no way, never in a million years, okay? Um, If it's not grounded in your identity as God's child, then they become an onerous list of ethical demands that do not further justice and wholeness. When the disciple, you and I, understands his or her actions as flowing out of God's abundance to which he or she belongs and which belongs to him or her, turning the other cheek becomes an act of resistance to evil that has the power to transform others and the world. Amen. As I was planning this morning's uh, teaching, uh, I, the thought went through my mind that I, I should simply read the passage and leave it at that. Just read the words of Jesus and move on. Because, of course, I have running through my mind as I'm reading this, uh, the weekend's events in our downtown core, and uh, which have, of course, followed on from the previous three weeks. And I think of the news that I've read and the social media posts that I've read, and I found myself starting to create escape clauses in my heart that exempt you and I from what Jesus is saying. Well, Jesus didn't literally mean this, right? Or... When Jesus said this, he didn't have in mind a country that was so divided and torn, which of course isn't true. Jesus was speaking into a divided country who were under military occupation from a foreign political force. And he says to his disciples in that context, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. As I'm, I'm getting chills on my arm as I'm thinking about these words that Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking to the hated and the cursed, to the mistreated, to those who have or will have very real enemies. And remember that, yes, the larger context is that he's speaking to the crowd on the plain, but these verses are for the disciples. These are for his. Now, according to Luke's account, uh, verses 27 to 38 is just the second thing that Jesus says after forming his crew. This is Jesus' state of address. This is his rousing speech prior to the game in the lockers. This is William Wallace riding up and down on his horse in front of the army, trying to prepare them for what is coming. And Jesus' basic assumption is that his disciples will have enemies. He doesn't say if, 
And so it's a basic assumption that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that uh, then you will have enemies, you will have those who hate you, you will have those who curse you, and you will have those who mistreat you. Amen? I don't want to amen that, but uh, <laughs> that's what we read in the Bible. And, and then, of course, in this context, you know, the temptation is to give tit for tat, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, insult for insult, social media post for social media post. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't post. Of course not. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be weighing in on important issues that affect our lives. But Jesus says that ultimately, our directions from life need to come from somewhere else. You see, according to Luke chapter 6, the other people have already made up their minds about you as a disciple. To you or to them, you are already written off. They've already categorized you as an enemy combatant, as someone worthy of mudslinging, of abuse, of hatred and cursing. They've already made their move. And now, disciple of Jesus, it's yours. Love. Do good. Bless. And pray. Now, if we're in any doubt at all as to what Jesus is trying to get at, he then goes on to give us painful, practical implications of these commands. Verse 29 says this, if someone slaps you on one cheek. Like I said, this is a painful, practical uh, outworking of the commands, literally painful. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not with your, hold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Okay, this is starting to become very real. This is starting to sit heavy on my chest. Because as I read this, I'm thinking of how someone might be hearing this who is or has been in an abusive relationship, or someone who has experienced a home invasion, or has had things stolen from them, or their land stolen from them. And, if, and so I'm, I'm kind of stuck. As a preacher of God's word, I'm stuck. Because, of course, Jesus is not saying to stay in an abusive relationship or to offer yourself up as a doormat for someone simply to walk over. I have so many scenarios in my mind, and I really want to go through each and every one of them this morning to hold them up against this scripture and to say, Jesus, do your words apply to this scenario? Or what about his? What about what she's walking through right now? Does she apply this into her life? What if right now this family or a couple are going through X, Y, or Z? Do we apply this into their life? And this morning, I simply am not able to do that. There are, but there are many, many passages that speak into specific situations uh, that give further advice and insight and wisdom. And if you're in such a situation, um, don't be silent. Let someone else know, if we need to have a coffee, then I would love to have a coffee with you. But this morning, I want to come back to 
the context, uh, which is the idea that Jesus is speaking to his brand new disciples in the context of a crowd of people from all over the region. And he appears to be saying to them, since you are allied with me, you will have enemies. You will have people who hate you, who curse you, who mistreat you, and you are to love them. You are to do good to them. You are to bless them. You are to pray for them. And not only that, if they slap you, offer them your other cheek. And if they take from you your coat, offer them your shirt as well. And if one of those people who hate you ask you for something, you give it to them. And if they steal, don't demand it back. And so as you hear these words and you think of your own situation, my prayer is this. Holy Spirit, would you please speak, please reveal, please minister, please guide and lead. Amen. And then Jesus sums up this, uh, this section by saying in uh, verse 31, do unto others or do to others, as you can see, I was raised in a King James church, do unto others as thou wouldst have them do unto thee. Uh, no, do to others as you would have them do to you. Um, and again, Jesus is saying in this verse, he's saying this, don't allow the behavior of others to dictate your response. Don't allow the behavior of others to dictate your response. Instead, he seems to be saying, think about how you wish your enemies would treat you. Maybe you wish that they would give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you wish they would sit down and actually listen to your story. Maybe you wish that you could have the chance to, to apologize so that they could hear your heart and your viewpoint. Maybe you wish that they would speak well of you to their friends or at least stop short of dragging your name through the mud. Maybe you wish that they would take that chance to reconcile with you Maybe you wish that they weren't so one-sided and blind to the reality of what you know is going on. Maybe you wish that they would go beyond hateful rhetoric and actually speak in a more balanced way. Maybe you wish that they would get to know you before judging you and drawing a conclusion. Okay, so all of that, Jesus says, I want you to treat them that way. Now, friends, I don't know your situation, but I do know Jesus' words do to others as you would have them do to you. Don't wait for them to come on side. Don't wait for them to start maybe behaving or acting in a way that you can live with. Make a determination whilst you're in the midst of your enemies and the, hate, the hatred and the cursing and the mistreatment that you will treat them in the way that you wish they would treat you. Is this a hard saying? Yes, it is. It's a very, very, very hard saying. So let's pray again. Holy Spirit, would you apply this to our lives? Speak into each of our hearts to know or to show us how we can live this out. Show us how to take our cues from you and not our culture or the news or family members or our neighbors or our social media feed. You speak to us. Amen.
Jesus then shows us that he is the best judge of human character. He's fully aware of our tendency to make it look like we're applying scripture, but really what we're doing is we're bringing our obedience down to where it's comfortable for us to the lowest possible point. And then we say, I'll be obedient like that. It's a bit like when you're asked to tidy your room and you shove everything under the bed and then you say, well, it looks tidy. This is okay. And so we say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, I will obey you and I will love my friends and I will do good to my family members, Lord. And I will bless those who tag me in a positive post on Facebook. And I will absolutely and faithfully pray for those who are already on my side. I will obey, Lord. I will obey. And so as long as something gives the appearance of obedience, we're okay with it. And Jesus knows this. He's not an idiot. He's the Son of God. He's existed. He's pre-existed us for eternity. And so we jump straight in on it in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit? Okay, Jesus, we, we hear Jesus speaking in a monotone. Okay, this is sarcastic Jesus. This is Jesus with a bite. You know, this is Jesus with his eyebrows raised and, you know, his hand on his hip. Okay, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And of course, none of us are sinners. Now, the original Greek for Jesus' words are this. If you say you're nice to your friends, big whoop. Okay, that's the original Greek. Big whoop. And then after saying big whoop, Jesus then circles back round and he pretty much reiterates what he's already said. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Okay, I want to hover here for just a moment because what Jesus is saying is that if we put into practice what he's telling us to love our enemies and and to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us and to pray for those who mistreat us, then our reward will be great. We will have a great reward. Something is coming to us that we cannot even imagine. Our our reward will be great, not mediocre, not like for like. In fact, in the same way that God expects our response to be so much higher than the behavior of our enemies, our reward will be exponentially higher than our response. God is waiting to pour out his blessings on those who live according to his kingdom principles rather than taking their cues from social norms or from cultural norms. And not only this, but Jesus then says, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So by loving and by doing good and blessing and praying and turning your cheek and letting people mistreat you and take advantage of you in the name of Jesus, you are never left worse off. 
In fact, you are in an enviable position. You are known as children of the Most High. Why? Why, are you, why? why would you be known as children of the Most High? Because you're a chip off the old block. Because you're living in the way that Jesus established. And so instead of being those who respond like for like to your enemies, you are now known as a child of the Most High. What an incredible badge for you to be wearing, a child of the Most High. And here's the thing, here's why. Because God loves his enemies. God does good to those who hate him. God blesses those who curse him. This is the heart of the message of the gospel. God doing the unexpected and winning over people as a result over and over and over again. People like you. In fact, anyone who's ever entered the kingdom of heaven has done so because God loves his enemies. And God even prays for those who mistreat him. Okay, well, that's kind of weird because isn't God the receiver of prayers? How does God pray for those who mistreat him? Well, you just have to think of the cross, right? Jesus is being crucified as the spotless lamb of God. He's literally dying in the place of sinful humans who are mocking him. And how does he respond? Or how would you respond? How would I respond? If it was me, I'd have been down on that cross and or down off that cross and I'd have been shaking them and going, don't you understand what I'm doing? Can't you see what's happening here? Have you no idea? How can you respond to such love by mocking me and spitting me? My outrage would have been up here at that moment. I'd have been sicking the angels on the lot of them. I'd have been smiting left, right, and center if they did that to me while I was on the cross. But Jesus, he prays for those who mistreat him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In that moment, Jesus shows us how to move from uh, reacting in outrage to responding in love. So if you want to be a child of the Most High, then be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Jesus then goes on and says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, okay, listen to this. And like I say sometimes when I'm preaching, get a picture in your image. See it, feel it, smell it, maybe taste it as I read this. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you friends this is kingdom living and it is hard in fact it's impossible you can't do it i can't do it none of us can because it goes against our very nature but that's not the point of this because jesus isn't creating a kingdom based on our best efforts. He's not creating a kingdom based on what we can do. We know what our society looks like based on the best efforts of humanity, right? We know what that looks like. We're living in the midst of it, and it's ugly, and it's messy, and no one wins. But Jesus is setting up a new kingdom, and he started with these 12 apostles, and they all would mess up. 
So do you think that Jesus loved Judas when he abused him through, through betraying him? Do you think that Jesus loved the rest of them when they scarpered off into the night and left him alone? Uh, do you think that Jesus still loved Peter when he chopped off the servant's ear and then he, he, he said that he didn't even know Jesus later on? Do you think Jesus loved them in spite of their screw-ups? Of course he did. And Jesus' Jesus's kingdom is made up of screw-ups who have this amazing gift of doing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing and acting in the wrong way and responding wrongly time and time and time again. People like you and people like me. And yet Jesus still takes us apart from the crowd and he says to us as his disciples, I don't care what they're doing. I'm talking to you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Treat others in the way that you wish they would treat you. Why? Because this is how God treats you. Why? Because if you do this, you will get a great reward. Why? So that you can be a child of the Most High. Why? Because when you do, when you give to those who don't really deserve it, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This will be poured into your lap. Like I said at the beginning, motive is powerful, and having enemies is one of the most powerful motivators of all. But being loved by God can overcome even having enemies as a motivator. So if a detective was to investigate your life and to find out why you are living the way that you're living, I wonder what motive they would uncover. Are you motivated by the kingdom of this world or are you motivated by the kingdom in which Jesus is king? And so friends, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted God's free gift of life, of salvation, if you've never experienced the kindness of God, if, you've, if you long to be a child of the Most High, then I invite you right now to pray along with me. Let's pray. Father, I'm tired of living the way of the world. I'm tired of living according to my sinful nature and simply reacting to those around me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. And I ask you to make me a child of the Most High. Make me new. Make me alive. Make me your child. Amen. So if you've prayed that prayer this morning, then let me know afterwards. I'd love to have a coffee with you. Friends, as we wrap up, Jesus says, or Luke tells us that Jesus says these words to his disciples. Not the crowd. He's not speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to the disciples. So are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And Luke tells us in verse 27 that Jesus says this to those who are listening. So are you a disciple of Jesus this morning? And are you listening? In the midst of the crowd pressing in, speaking loud and long and convincingly, are you listening 
to Jesus. You see, we live in a country at the moment with a lot of noise, a lot of opinions, a lot of claims, a lot of counterclaims, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, a lot of frustration, and a lot of mistrust. And it's not over yet. We are not out of the woods yet. There are a lot of wounds that have been caused over the past couple of years, few weeks, and weekend. There are a lot of wounds and a lot of bruises. So whichever side, quote-unquote, you're on, I'm not saying for you to say that what your enemies did to you is okay or acceptable. I'm not saying for you to lay aside your principles or your opinions. I'm not saying for you to even lay aside your desire to see justice done because God is a God of justice. But I am inviting you to invite God to do a sovereign work that only he can do, which is to transform your outrage into love. And so as we sing this last song, as the worship team comes up, uh, I invite you as disciples to listen to what God is saying to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to uncover your motives and uh, to show you how he's calling you to respond. And so let's just listen to these words as we move into this worship time. Let's just pray this all together, actually, uh, out, out loud. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.